Gearwebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is Free Patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at Gearwebsites.com. Welcome to our Daily Gun Show. Come to you live every weeknight at midnight Eastern. And we talk about guns for about an hour or so. A little bit late tonight because of IRL stuff. So thanks to the people that are joining us live. To uh, Or thank you for your patience for the people that are listening to us live. Gunmetal Guys, first one to show up at work. Can't type, but listening in the background. Good evening. Glad we could be here for you while you're live or while you're at work live while you're at work so let's talk about the daily gun show we go live every weeknight at midnight our goal is to do a long format show all evening all night long that's you know not the pattern we're going in but uh, it's where we'd like to go so if you'd like to help see that happen uh consider subscribing to our projects down at the bottom of the screen you'll see a link to our patreon Patreon is a website. It is a system, a service where you can subscribe to projects. Our project is a bunch of websites. It's a bunch of content, and it is a bunch of effort to do a bunch of different things, including this week, this daily show. So we go live every weeknight. We go live at midnight so that we can uh, spend some time at night without crashing into other shows. We go live every single night. We're on episode 1444, 444 with a thousand in front of it. So that's a lot of episodes we've been doing. This is 2016, not trying to get rich or famous, although being rich would be great because it would let us spend more time on this stuff. But the goal is to accomplish some things with this time with you and with the internet. We're laying things down on the internet. We're attempting to do that workshop style. So we do it live with transparency 
so that you can see how it's done and why we're doing it. And then we do the stuff. So on Monday, it's motivation. Try to talk about how and why you might want to be a Second Amendment activist, understanding that we all are Second Amendment activists somewhere or another. Tuesdays, we talk about 2A, all the nuts and bolts. Wednesdays, we have a little fun, and we do the tactical quiz, and we look at uh, guns in society and pop culture and that kind of thing. Thursdays, travel and training. And then on Friday, we try to look at the industry. We take a look back at the week, not just from our perspective, from, from the people that we've watched, the people we listen to, the people we respect, and the people we'd like to champion and get the word out about. Saturdays and Sundays, we do some stuff too, but during the week is what we call a daily gun show. And tonight is Thursday. We talk about travel and training, and we're going to be talking about our tour from 2016. So we call our travels the Gun Show Loophole Tour. We've got a website over here, gunshowloopholetour.com. So let's take a quick look about the tour itself. The Gun Show Loophole Tour is the name we've given our road trips as we travel for gun websites. Since the 1990s, we've been traveling, and as we explore, we document and share our adventures across the USA. We do that mostly online. We do it with our websites. And uh, for over a decade, we've been traveling to cover events, to participate in factory tours, attend training classes, and then simply vacationing all over the United States. In 2015, we started calling those adventures the Gun Show Loophole Tour. Reasons we chose that name are important. We chose Gun Show because we value gun shows. They're more than just a, find, a place to find cheap ammo or used reloading stuff. Gun shows are a place to meet up and network with other gun people, shooters, friends, people you might not see every day or only see online. Gun shows are the only place a gun shop can do business outside of their physical location, which is the building the gun store is actually in. We have a whole website devoted to gun shows. It's called gunshowreviews.com. You can check that out. So gun shows are a big part of me and my life. They're a big part of the people on the gun websites team, and they're a big part of our projects over the years. Now, the loophole part, that's from the gun show loophole, a term that had been used, has been used to describe private sales of property. The reasons this attempt by gun grabbers to own the phrase might be numerous, but our intent is to keep a presence out there on the web where when you search for gun show loophole, you'll find more than just their versions of it. Hopefully you'll find something good and interesting with our input. So let them keep using the phrase and when our tour gets large enough or goes on long enough, they'll be advertising for us, right? So gun show loophole tour is the name of the website and we call it the tour because we drive around to places and touring is, you know, automobile touring. That's where I think where it comes from. At least that's where we're using it. All right, so uh, one of the things we do when we're on the road is we spend money at the gun shops we visit. Our goal, one of our goals is to help support those shops that we find along the way. We buy their logo, gear, merchandise, patches if we can, stickers if we have to, sometimes hats or shirts if we, you know, have no other choice. And the idea is to leave money at those stores, to help support them and get the word out about their stores. We share that loot, the stuff that we grab with our Patreons, the people that help get us out there on the road. And uh, we did that quite a bit 
for a few years. And in 2016, um, we had, um, I think we raised some funds by selling some patches and stuff. So that in a nutshell, or at least in a couple of minutes, is what the Gun Show Loophole Tour is. And like I say, that's tour, we've been calling it that since 2015. And in 2016, I had decided, well, I hadn't decided, I broke my truck. It had uh, gotten all smashed up. And I'd been driving it for a few years all smashed up. I had a Chevy pickup. Actually, we can go take a look at the uh, vehicles of the tour on the website here. It's one of the things we throw. So I used to have this 99 Chevy 1500 made illustrations of everything. Really liked that truck. I found a cap for it one time, just laying in, the, in a vacant lot. So I grabbed it and been using it as a cap. So I could cap in that camp in that truck. Uh, we'd hunt out of it. Just a great truck, right? Trucks are awesome. Uh, I was the guy that had trucks. So, you know, we used it a lot for moving and stuff. I bought this thing right when I started working. Wait, no, when did I buy that thing? I bought that thing. Yeah, I had bought it with some AOL money. So uh, it was the first new vehicle I'd ever bought. I had an El Camino before that and uh, definitely liked the bed. You know, I've had trucks before, so I liked having the bed. The El Camino was awesome, but it just wasn't a truck, right? So got the uh, 99 when it was new and uh, drove that thing for quite a number of years until about 2015 when, no, what year did that thing die? Whatever year it was that that thing died, I guess 2014. No, it would have been before that. Anyway, that thing died. Wait, do I have the years of his death here? No. But uh, anyway, it got smashed up and eventually got the cop car. So I was driving the cop car, did a couple of tours with the cop car in 2012. So I guess the, the, the truck got smashed up in uh, 2011 or something, in 12. Yeah, it was like that. So then I got the cop car. Been driving the cop car for a while. However, the cop car... You can't camp in the cop car. You can. You can camp with a tent, but you can't sleep in the cop car very comfortably, especially with a dog, especially bringing a lot of stuff around. So as much as I like the cop car, it also doesn't have cruise control. So as much as I really like the the cop car for driving around, just driving a cop car is awesome. Uh, it's time to get something that I could camp out of. And in 2016, I put some 2015, really, 2015. 2014 is when we started this show, right? So 2014, I was driving the cop car. Bob was driving the his camper. Uh, we don't have, I do have Bob's camper and stuff. We, Bob came down in his truck and his camper, and he was driving that around, and I was driving the cop car, but I didn't like camping in his camper. It's weird, and, uh, you know, it's his camper, and I don't need to be a guest in his camper, and I'm not going to drag a whole other camper around with me. And it kind of worked with the with the cop car and knew when I could ditch into Bob's camper if I had to to sleep or whatever and then go into SHOT Show, I'd get a hotel and that kind of stuff. But being on the road, it just wasn't working. And uh, Bob was coming down quite a bit and had anticipated coming down even more. So I decided to start looking around and I went with the van. So this is the uh, 2000, what was this thing, a 1986 Chevy van. Oh, I guess I killed the video on it. But um, it was a 1986. I can open up in this window. Okay, I'll open up the image in a new tab. How about that? So it was a 1986 Chevy van. I had it until just last year, I think. I had to end up selling it. 
and it's an awesome van. It's not the best van ever. I wanted in 1984, but this one was from the uh, a school district, and it was their plumbing van. So it was a like a plumbing repair van. So it was about in as worst condition as you could get. It had a bunch of plumbing tools bouncing around in it, and I bought the lat. No, no, the ladder racks. Wait a minute. No, I put the ladder racks on it. They were from some other service vehicle. I just found them online somewhere in the bottom. Uh, the mirror was already on it because it was a school district, I'm guessing. They just wanted all kinds of extra safeguards in case somebody was behind the van or they left the doors open or whatever. I used my machine to come up with these for official use stickers because I thought it looked cool on there. Um, I still got the badges. The badges are sitting right in front of me because I took all the badges off of it when I got it or when I got rid of it. But anyhow, this was a 1986 Chevy van. It's pretty awesome and is automatic. And it was not exactly the one I wanted, but it was all, uh, it was a cargo van. So it was all closed in. There was no windows on it. Uh, there's another model of 80 something van where they have windows on the door. And I think windows next to the door. And that's one that they would make into like an ice cream truck or into uh, like some kind of vending vehicle, right? So they would make it with just a couple of windows on it. And I always thought that would be cool for camping because then you could have windows for if you wanted them, put curtains or shades or something on them, but then have security of not windows. Anyway, that was a very rare van. I've only seen, I saw one girl on Instagram that used to drive around in one. That's how I know they exist. But anyhow, this one was pretty awesome and it had no windows in the back on the doors. And I really dug that. The van I have now has windows on the back doors, and I don't like that so much for security or whatever. Anyhow, so I had been watching um, van life stuff when 19 or in 2000 and what was this, 2016? You know, it was nothing new. People had been driving around, people living out of their vehicles and stuff. And as far as van life or doing the van stuff, you either had people trying to make a spectacle out of it with, you know, fancy. Mercedes-Benz vehicles that they'd put a bunch of goop on there and have all kinds of mountain bikes hanging off of it and solar panels and water tanks everywhere. And it was just a big, they were RVs. They just didn't buy RVs, but they were essentially recreational vehicles. And I had no intention of paying for camping because that's the whole thing is to save money. And I didn't want to stop at campgrounds. I'd have got a camper if I wanted to stop at campgrounds. That's what Bob was doing. So, um, you know, I was looking more at the stealth camping. So with stealth camping, you're looking at ambulances, you're looking at delivery vans, you're looking at um, passenger vans, and then maybe a conversion van. But a conversion van looks really close to a recreational vehicle. And if you leave a conversion van sitting too long anywhere, people assume somebody's doing something in there. So uh, for me, it was, it was cargo van. Cargo van can be, a, like in this case, a plumbing mechanic type of vehicle, a contractor, uh, somebody who's doing something that needs equipment or uh, storage of stuff, right? So you know, some kind of a contracting thing. Uh, and then potentially just a moving van, a big empty van that's being used to drag stuff around. So, uh, or just delivering, right? Like a delivery van. So uh, I thought the, the, this kind of cargo van would be the way to go. You don't have the windows of the passenger van, which is, you know, the other type of van would have a bunch of windows in it and a bunch of seats for dragging people around. And you can get those all over the place. Churches buy them off of schools or churches that are rich enough, just buy them 
and then churches get rid of them. And when churches get rid of them, they've been usually taking good care of them. And sometimes they drive the heck out of them, but they also tend to maintain them or they have somebody around who's, you know, trying to keep the thing from breaking down. Uh, schools, eh, they probably have good intentions and they worry about liability, but they also have teachers and coaches that could care less about anything. It's government's money, so it's government's equipment. So hit or miss with those. So, uh, and then you got the security of the passenger vehicle. A passenger van has windows all the way around, and that can be nice. There's some girls and stuff that did van life at the time with passenger vans and curtains and stuff. But, you know, it wasn't my thing. I'm not trying to make a skeptical out of this. I really want it to look uh, inconspicuous in a parking lot. Like, no one's going to pay any attention to it. So the 86 van was not ideal. Or 84 van. Yeah, 86 van was not ideal. It was old at the time, and it looked all beat up. And it's in Arizona, and it's the van was bought by the school, so it had one owner, the school. And it was not in bad shape, and it was maintained, but it was also stopped being maintained when it got kind of bad. So it had some serious issues with its transmission and with its engine and with its carburetor, not to mention just it had been beat up. You can kind of tell by looking at this picture that it had gone around for a while and been used. So, you know, it looked like a good contractor vehicle. It looked like a good, you know, I'm here to get something done, maybe some steam cleaning or maybe some plumbing or something like that, like that kind of van. So I thought for that, purpose, it would be pretty good. Now, the transmission was the worst part of it. I was putting about a quarter transmission in you know, every so many miles. Now, this picture was taken in Yuma, Arizona. But, uh, you know, I drove this thing around for two years or something, a year, and I couldn't get enough of it. This is my first van that I bought. It was mine. I've been in other vans before, and I've had friends, good friends that have had vans. So I've driven in vans for sure. But this was my van. And I really, really, really like it. Slide, uh, double, regular doors. I don't like the sliding doors. So regular old van, uh, regular old doors. And it was me and the Doberman, and he was getting pretty old. This was his last year. We didn't know that, of course. But um, wait, was it? No, it wasn't. It was getting close to his last year, so. And uh, it was just an awesome van. So it did everything I would have wanted. It had a door into the back. It had the gate. It was a little bit beat up. I didn't mind that, and I didn't want, I want kind of a sleeper. I want a van that just looks like you're not paying any attention to it, but what I really would have liked is this thing to be just mint under the hood. Not necessarily a hot rod, but just a competent, capable, capable and competent touring vehicle. And I think the only thing I would have wanted it to not look sleeper is to have some decent tires, right? It had pretty much bald old tires on it and these goofy hubcaps. I still have those hubcaps. I use them to hold water under all the places in the house that drip right now. So the van still lives on to some extent. But anyway, this van was my first uh, attempt at stealth camping. And the biggest trip that it ever took was out to California. So I needed to get it going to see if it could do road trips after... It's just spending a lot of time to get it through emissions. I don't think schools have to deal with emissions out here. So I was probably the first one that ever had to put it through emissions. And even in 1986 van, had to, it only barely had to do emissions. It just had to not catch fire or something. And I couldn't manage to get it through emissions at all. It took, I'm not even kidding, like 16 times. Like I got to know the people at emissions. It was sad. It was horrible. 
it had a regular car carburetor on it you know it's an 86 so you know i tried everything i knew didn't work called in a couple of different people who are like uh, mobile mechanics to help me with it still no luck and then finally just getting so familiar with fiddling with it i was able to kind of milk it through finally I think the way the commissions worked for this vehicle, it was like 40 bucks and then you got two times and then it was 11 bucks and then you got four times. It was like some goofy thing. And then I had to go back and start again. Finally got it all through. The car wasn't, the van wasn't running well, but it was, it got through emissions. And I decided, okay, I'm going to, regardless, I'm going to see if it can do a road trip. I don't care. I've done, well, I'm old. So I've done plenty of road trips on vehicles that needed to be milked the whole time. They could not just... You know that you'd have to constantly be fiddling with it so bought a bunch of transmission fluid got a, a couple of melt crates this was a plumbing you know plumbing repair van so there's a video out there somewhere of the insides of it but i left some of the shelves in there that were used for the tools and parts and stuff to give me some place to put you know camping gear and my electronics and fishing stuff and whatever so um uh I had plenty of room for like tools and, and spare parts and stuff. So I didn't have like everything spare, but you know, I had a bunch of spare parts, all the stuff that I thought might go wrong with this thing. Uh, and I think that was the first trip. Let's go find out. I think that was the first trip. We booked it over to uh, California. So in 2016, we did quite a few tours that year. Um, let's see. First, we did an Arizona tour. That would have been with Bob. And uh, he came out. We went for six days to six southern arizona gun shops then we went up to prescott and we had met up with hung out at a couple of shops up there uh we spent a day just on the tucson gun shops going to 11 of them or that was actually probably a couple of days because bob was here for a while we went to the big sandy machine gun shoot we did a tour of the gun shops up in phoenix uh, 12 shops up there that was the year we got to hang out at the Wooden Lab here in Tucson, a giant ammunition collection that was here in Tucson. Then uh, that was kind of getting ready and everything worked okay. It actually died a little bit coming back from Prescott, but that's where I was like, you know what, we'll, uh, we'll try this out anyway. No, you know what, it went like this. I went backwards. So first off, we went to SHOT Show. So this isn't in the right order. First, we went to SHOT Show, and that was earlier in the year. And I think Bob went to SHOT Show that year. Um, I had started in 2014 going to the machine gun rental places, and I would sometimes head up like a week or two before SHOT Show. Well, I started up in like 14, I think, going up in December. Somebody gave me a timeshare one time in December. So I went up there and checked out all the gun shops in Vegas and made a website for all that. And then um, checked out all the machine gun rental places. And then uh, every year after that, I would go up and just kind of monitor the machine gun rental places. It's a whole nother layer of the gun community because those are international and they, they're they constantly changing. I don't know if people pay attention, but Machine Gun Vegas stays in the same place. It's pretty big. Pretty much every other one is, well, okay. The gun store has stayed in the same place because it's the oldest and Machine Gun Vegas yeah, Machine Gun Vegas has stayed the same. Or no, Battlefield Vegas. That one has stayed the same. Everything else has changed around. Moved physical locations, changed owners. Um, anyway, so uh, 
been kind of paying attention to those and spent some time up there in Vegas in 16 for all of that. This would have been still like the heyday of Gun Channel. So Marco and Pink and everybody doing their thing. I think that's probably when Clover and them started going up there. Bob was there. No, wait, that would have been before Clover and then. So Bob was there. Smeggy might have been there that year. I don't remember. So then we went to New Mexico, and that was 17 New Mexico gun shops, and 12 of the shops were in Albuquerque. Uh, we hit a bunch of the Red Dawn stuff, and then, um, uh, dude, did we go to, oh, and then that's when Bob was leaving. So then we went up to Oklahoma, uh, went up to Colorado. I need to put that in here, too. We went up to Colorado and almost got to check out the, the one, um, what is it, like gunsmith school there, but we just went there. We didn't go call ahead or nothing. So I found out where it was. That was my first time going to Colorado ever. And I was kind of saying goodbye to Bob. We were just at the Red Dawn stuff. And I went, we didn't even know about the New Mexico um, NRA Museum. We drove past it. Like I drove past it three times, twice, I guess. Um, wait, one, two, three, four times maybe. Anyway, that was kind of neat. And it was, we said goodbye to Bob. I came back to... Um, that was taking the van. That was taking the van up into Colorado and then through New Mexico and back. So that was my, that was saying goodbye to Bob and getting the van going. Then I go, okay, Bob had to leave and he didn't want to go to California. He had all his guns and he didn't want to leave his guns or nothing. I can, you know, I can just not take guns when I go to California. So then I go to California. That's what happened. And that was taking the van out for a real run and getting its thing. So that was five days. Uh, two shops in Yuma, two shops in San Diego, two shops in Los Angeles, and then the Ring of Fire factory tour. And Smeggy was out there doing work in, in, in San Diego. And so he took like the weekend off or something, and he had a rental car. And I drove to San Diego and hung out, and uh, Oro had some trouble. So I spent like a day messing with Oro. And then only seen a couple of gun shops. Then Smeggy got off work. We met up and then headed up into L.A. and hooked up with a guy from Gun Channels and some other people from Gun Channels up there. And then actually quite a few people from Gun Channels now that I'm thinking about it. And then stayed overnight at one dude's house and then woke up and then he took us to go eat near a couple of the ring of fire places, or I think one of the ring of fire places. We saw one of the ring of fire places on the way from San Diego to LA. Saw that second one that night after eating dinner, before eating dinner, and then woke up the next day and hit all the other ring of fire factories. So all the places around LA that made Jennings, Lorson, uh, uh, Raven, Davis and a couple of others, Sundance and well, some others. So I think it was like 12 factories or something. That was pretty fun. And uh, also got to see the place where Terminator, the gun shop in Terminator, we went to the surplus store from falling down and the, what do you call it? A couple of museums. Wait, did I hit museums on that trip? Smeggy booked back to LA or back down to San Diego. And then I hung out in LA and I 
can't remember now if I ended up going to more things. I may have. I know the van was not doing well. So the van was not doing great, and I decided to go to California anyway. I took a bunch of transmission fluid with me, and it ended up, let's see, going into California was no big deal. Like Arizona, I'm used to. I've been to Yuma a million times. So going to Yuma, I knew the road. I had never been into California from Yuma before. So going across Yuma into California, there's nothing but desert basically between Yuma and San Diego until right before you get to San Diego, you go up into some mountains. So you go across like essentially barren desert, like sand desert and super hot dogs dying, the vans dying. You have to get across that desert and then go up a freaking hill and then come back down into San Diego. And that's where the van kind of was like, nope. And the dog was like, uh-uh. So I kind of nursed everybody back to health. But now I had sucked up all my transmission fluid doing that. So now I had to buy transmission fluid in California, which I didn't think about it because I'm not from California. Costs way more and was harder to find because they can't have old cars in California anymore. So one, I was about the only old car driving around in 2016. And I was essentially spraying like a oil slick of transmission fluid behind the thing constantly. And Smeggy's rental car was like all full of transmission fluid from that. Um, anyway, so it was not doing well. I didn't spend a lot of time farting around, but I knew that I wasn't going to get to California. That was my first time just driving around California. Well, since the old days of following bands around in California, the dead around, so I can follow bands around. But anyway, um, aside from going there to dead shows or whatever, this was the first time just driving around California. The van wasn't doing good, so it kind of got cut off a little bit shorter than it might have been. Came home from that one. So then went to Prescott and this part of it, going up to the Prescott gun shops and stuff, trying to get you know, work on the van a little bit, brought it up there coming home from Prescott in 2016, this thing blew a nut or whatever happened to it. I think one of the pistons seized up and the transmission was like, yeah, I'm dead too. So it basically seized up. The next year, Bob came down in 17 and helped diagnose that it was pretty much dead in the water. So I tried to figure out what it would cost to buy a new engine and do the work to get this thing running and adding it all up. Long story short, ended up getting the new van uh, in 18, 17. So 16 ended up being the one year for the old van and the transition from the cop car into the van. And there's nothing wrong with the cop car. The cop car, well, except that it's been sitting now since 2016. Um, it's just sitting. So uh, it's probably needs some overhaul to get it running again. But it's... Uh, there's nothing wrong. It just got retired from not being useful for road tripping in the sense that, you know, it required a hotel all the time and uh, no cruise control. No cruise control is pretty lame. All right. So um, uh, Krabby's asking what vehicle do you use to come out east? Uh, well, back in the day, I used the truck. but um, And then once we used the, the cop car in 2012, we used the cop car. But then in uh, everything since then has been the new van, the uh, 2002. Yeah, so the, the van that we drove around to the Ring of Fire was this one, the 1986 old Chevy that was all beat up and dying. 
Although, like I say, it was a great band. I really, really liked it. This this patch makes it look like it's all brand new, but in reality, it was uh, this, you know, all beat up and cool, dinged, dinged, and dinged, and rusty a little bit, but Arizona rusty, you know, just in little corners, not nothing bad. You couldn't get parts for it anymore, which kind of sucked. But uh, anyhow, I had it in the backyard for a long, 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 long time. Most of the satellite pictures probably got this van sitting in the backyard still. And then uh, a couple of years ago, it went from being worth a couple of hundred dollars to being worth like $600. So they came and picked it up and gave me 600 bucks for it. And it sucks, but I only paid 500 for it, I think. So, you know, I'm minus a couple of thousand dollars worth of transmission fluid and, uh, you know, some smiles. Uh, it was a cool van. I really, 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 really liked it. If it would have been a 1984, I would have liked it a little bit better. That would have been the A-Team model, but I don't want the AMC. I wanted the Chevy, a Chevy panel van like this one or whatever, a delivery van. Um, I just think this is, I just like the body shape of this one. I just think it looks, to me, this looks like a Chevy van. It's, you know, there's a million of them, so this isn't the, I mean, there's a bunch of different designs. So there's nothing too fancy about it. It's just that I kind of like this one. But um, nah, it's kind of pointless. It's a van you could probably repair. If somebody knew how to work on metal, they could repair this one. But I don't think you're going to find too many parts for it anymore. They didn't really make a bunch of stuff for it. All right. Well, that being said, that's the van. So uh, the tour, though, we had a lot of fun. Wait, well, then let's go back to the tour. So let's see. Let's start talking about the tour itself. So in 2016, we drove 6,000 miles. 11 days on the road, 49 gun shops, six states, and six museums. I'm trying to think now, which all museums? So we know we hit the Wooden Lamb. It's not really a museum, but uh, Bill Wooden is a, uh, or was a um, ammunition collector. He uh, started out in the military, being stationed all over the world, and had just been a gun person. So he started collecting ammo, just kind of, just picking it up and having access to it and, and keeping some of it being fairly, you know, semi-interested in it. And then after a while, he figured out he had a really interesting collection and became more and more interested in it and then became active and helped create the international cartridge collectors society and, or the international cartridge collectors club, I guess. And once, you know, he was sort of in the mix, then he, you know, that was a big part of his life and his collection which was predominantly military cartridges from the beginning until now became one of the largest collections of military cartridges ever. And it's awesome collection. I knew of it and he didn't, he didn't hide it, but he also wasn't like open to the public or anything. And I think in 2016, I just was like, you know what? I'm curious. I'm going to try to see if I can get over there. And sure enough, uh, he was a super nice guy. Uh, let me in and let me hang out and I offered to kind of help you know I'm, I've got my abilities my skills and stuff but uh, you know he's an old guy and he had a, a group of people that were helping him to do stuff at the pace he was doing it and it was his collection and uh, he was super nice he gave me access to it whenever I felt like it for the most part and I took that opportunity when I could I knew people that lived in the area. He didn't live that far from me. He lived about four miles from me. So it um, wasn't hard to get there. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the 762 by 39 And it blew my mind how much variety there was in 762 by 39 We've done 
quite a few videos that are hours long talking about the 762 by 39 that I found there. Was also I'm also interested in the 50 BMG. Now I was never able to fully. There's no. There's there's too many 50 BMGs, and Bill had too many of them. I I can't even describe two dozen drawers full of them. So and each one was essentially different. I just was lost. I I understand how much 762 by 39 there was because I knew the how it broke down by countries and by time and by cold war and after and that kind of stuff so i could i knew the territory i knew the the playing field for 762 by 39 so having like 12 smaller drawers of 762 by 39 it was just amazing but i could still contemplate it i understood what i was looking at the 50 bmg is since what 1911 or something or 1905 or something from a long long time ago and like every country made it and they made so many different projectiles, so many different reasons to make it, so many companies. The the amount that he had there and then the prototypes, I mean, it was it was amazing to look through. I've got some pictures of handfuls of 50 BMG projectiles and stuff that you know I'll never know what I was holding. And I've got cutaways, his cutaway collections are massive. He didn't even have them separated. The cutaways were just in with the rest of the stuff. So he'd let me just come in there and spend the afternoon or spend the half, you know, hours in there. And I would just pull the the cutaways out of the drawers and set them on top of the cabinets and stuff and take pictures of them and then put them back where they came from. And I, I would just do that for like a half a day. And I could kept finding them. I would just go through drawers. And then he'd go, oh, you're looking at 50 BMGs, right? There's some of those on the other side. We have those in, you know, for this and that. And you know, they'd be 50 BMGs over here that were different. So anyway, that was, a, that was amazing, fun time. And then he also had, well, he had about two or three drawers of like 25 ACP and 380 and little cartridges that I dug. And then two full drawers of just tiny miniature, tiny ammo and I've got as many pictures of that as I can, but he didn't really collect that stuff. So he just accumulated, it just accumulated and he didn't throw it away kind of thing. And this, the stuff was just amazing. So the problem is Bob or Bill would never really hang out and chat with me because I was just some dumb kid who was coming in, you know, towards the end of his whole thing. But, um, you know, he'd be nice and he'd answer a question or two, but I could never just have him sit there with me and, tell me about it. I don't know how much he didn't really care about the 762 by 39. I mean, he must have known amazing amount of stuff about it, but it's like, you know, he was never like, oh, you want to talk about 762 by 39? Let me sit on a stool and let's talk about it. So what I did is take video of it and then sat down with Martin Ivy and we, we talked about it with, you know, what I could get out of Martin for hours and hours. It was amazing. And then, you know, Bill would kind of tell me Whenever he'd see me find something, he'd kind of go, oh, look over here. And then he had like an odd, I don't know, his own proprietary way of sorting things. So you'd be like, oh, you like this? Well, then go back over here and go backwards, sort it to the other stuff. So, you know, he's doing all this before computers. Anyhow, that was a fun time. So the Wooden Lab, I haven't thought about that in a while. Pretty fun. The 12 Phoenix Gun Shops, I tried to do that way more often before the Internet. Before, Well, not before the Internet, but before YouTube. Um, I would go up, and that was really one of the reasons we've got the gun websites, is before YouTube and before there were social platforms, you had the forums, and that was it. So you had forums and you had websites. So that meant every individual gun shop had to have their own website. 
And if you wanted to find the gun shops out there, you would depend on the, on the gun shop to have a website that could be found. Well, that's a hell of a lot of assumptions. And some gun shops don't want websites, period. They just don't want them. They didn't like the internet. They didn't want to use the internet. Everybody knows the internet now, but back in 2004 to 2009, that wasn't the case. It was a different world. Some people were not as interested in going online. Well, people were still interested in finding them. So what we would do is create websites like Tucson Shooting or Tucson Guns or Tucson, you know, Phoenix Gun Shops or stuff like that. And we would put together maps and guides and uh, lists of the different shops and stuff. So in order to figure out what we were missing or see these shops or meet with them and take pictures and that kind of stuff. Cause you couldn't just, you know, you might know of a shop it's in the yellow pages or something, or it's in the, well, there was no Google maps back then, but you know, you knew the shop was there, but it doesn't mean anybody had ever had a picture of it. There was no pictures online of it. So we would just have to drive around and take pictures. And if we were there taking pictures, we'd go inside and say, Hey, and say, Hey, you know, we're building this thing and, you know, taking a picture of your shop and talk to people and find out what kind of stuff they did at their shop, that kind of thing. So in order to do that, you had to drive up to Phoenix and, you know, cost less. But back in the day, um, from about 2000 and whatever to 2010 or so, you know, that's what we do. That's what we would do is go up and drive all the Phoenix gun shops, go up and drive all the Prescott gun shops, go up and drive all the Albuquerque gun shops, do the Tucson gun shops, and then post the websites with them. And eventually everybody had their own website, so it was less necessary Google and everything was there. So, you know, there wasn't a need to keep creating these art, uh, indexes. But it became kind of a tradition, kind of a, a thing to do. So it's something that I did with Bob a couple of times. And, and it's also a way to keep your finger on the pulse of stuff. I don't really care about the guns as much as, you know, are they are the shops focused on CCW? Are the shops focused on competition? Are the shops focused on you know, the next new thing or the shops focused on bringing your old collections, you know, that kind of thing and talking to the gun shop owners, you know, are they here to facilitate people who are shooting every weekend? Are they here to, you know, to help collectors? Are they here to help the people that just acquire? I don't know what to call the people that just the buyers, the people that just buy all the time. So taking those shop tours, um, I haven't done them anywhere near as much as back in the day, but I guess 16 was probably one of the last city tours like that going out and spending time because to do 12 phoenix gun shops you got to go up there and spend the night like you can't just i mean you could go to every shop but if you want to go in and hang out at every shop you can look at five or six and then sleep somewhere because you can't go to all of them they're just phoenix is big um the big sandy machine gun shoot i'm trying to remember in 2016 smeggy if he's still awake out there might remember but we had mika um, from gun channels was somebody from Netherlands or was it Sweden? I'm going to forget now and hopefully not piss him off or offend him. But Mika was from Netherlands, I think. And Mika's a cool dude. I don't know if he's still around or what's going on. But anyway, we'd have a couple of international people on gun channels. And Mika came over to the United States to go to the Big Sandy machine gun shoot. And Bob was down here and he was going to the machine gun shoot and I was going to the machine gun shoot. And I think, did Night Strike fly in to go to the machine gun shoot that year? So a whole bunch of people came to the machine gun shoot. So we went up to Phoenix to shoot before we went to the machine gun shoot. And we all went to the range and went shooting. So 
I think that was 2016. It's hard to remember because we've done these things more than once, and I'm not sure if that was the year that that all happened or what. So that was the stuff that happened in Arizona, and I guess that ended up taking about 2,600 miles of the whole thing. But like I say, we went to California. I just explained all that. That was about 1,500 miles. When I went up to Vegas earlier in the year, that was about 825. You know, a bunch of those, of course, is getting to Vegas, but then driving all around Vegas ends up eating up some miles as well. Now, when Bob was heading out to Colorado or back home to, to, whatever, to uh, Canada, that's when we booked over to New Mexico. So we headed over to New Mexico, and our goal was to hit a gun shop and it had, or a gun show, but it had been canceled. And like idiots who'd never been to gun shows before, you know, we just booked out of here without even, well, Bob was leaving for Canada. So it's not like we had any choice. We were going to New Mexico. Well, he was going through New Mexico anyway. And I just decided, well, I'm going to go to some gun shops and stuff too. Because he wasn't in a big hurry to get back home. And if I remember right, he was just on his way back home. So we decided, okay, we can get some stuff done and kind of practice being on the road. So it worked out pretty good. Uh, like I say, the gun show was canceled, but it ended up being in a building across the street from a space museum, a museum of astronauts or something. And it was on the other side of the White Sands Missile Base, which is where they launched the, um, the first atomic bomb. So we got to kind of get some intel on how to uh, do the twice a year. I think once or twice a year, they bring people in to tour where they made the, or where they dropped the first atomic bomb in New Mexico. So we got to kind of do all that. And then even though we missed the gun show, we headed up to uh, Albuquerque and checked out all those gun shops. Once we went to Albuquerque, we headed up to another town, met up with Tina, if I remember correctly was her name. And she hooked us up with the Red Dawn Rock where we got ended up getting pictures and being, I don't think we were in a movie, but maybe in a commercial or something. Uh, and then, of course, we went up to the regular Red Dawn and then up to Colorado. And then we said, okay, see you, Bob. And he went up north and I went back down. And uh, so that was pretty good. Now, in 16, I also went to the Tulsa show. This year, in 16, though, I was helping out at a table. So I've gone to the Tulsa show a couple of times with Bob uh, from the gun shop. So that year i wasn't driving i don't count it as time on our clock i was just sitting in the passenger seat but um man there's so much you can do in the passenger seat while somebody else is driving that's so many hours for us it's like 16 hours and bob's the type to not he doesn't need anybody else to drive his vehicle so i'm just going to be a passenger the whole time i got so much work done compared to being a driver there's there's such a potential for two people or more driving around and getting stuff done while you're driving. Just such a such an interesting thing. So that's one of the reasons I'm a big fan of the whole projects, uh, driving around, getting stuff done, being on the road. I haven't mastered it, but I know the potential's there. So heading over to that show was great. Uh, just not media or nothing, just working the show and getting there with someone who had been going to the show for a long time. And Bob was bringing a bunch of stuff and just, it's just a fun time. And then he gave me the um, uh, vehicle and I went over to the J.M. Davis Museum for a while 
and just had my way, you know, just had a day to go hang out at the museum and stuff. Super fun. And I think that may be the third or fourth time I'd been to the museum, but that time, you know, I was just there for the, oh, and then I also got a chance to, that's when I got everything engraved. So uh, as soon as I, after I got left the museum, I met up with uh, the friend in uh, Tulsa that has the big fancy laser. And he, he's, he's done a bunch of gun channels coins for us and stuff. And he lasered my knife and, you know, showed me how a $50,000 laser works and the software and everything. So that was, that was a pretty fun trip. But like I'm going to say, I don't really count it as um, time on our odometer, but it was time on the, uh, you know, in the tour. So 2016, it also was a year where we helped fund it with the patches. So we did the, actually, let me just flip over to... The, um, what do you call this thing here? The dash or no? I guess it's not technically called a dash cam. It's a uh, webcam. And I'll see if I can grab. Well, I'm gonna do it this way. Let me see if I can do it this way. Let's go to here. So now we're going to camera. And if I go up from the thing that you're looking at right now, up into the uh, board here. Oh look, there's the the things from the van there's the chevy and there's the let me get it to look over there there's the chevy van 30. what do you call those things badges where's my finger there so there's the chevy 30 badge and then there's the chevrolet badge i kept those and there's the 2016 stuff i'm going to be reorganizing it but these here were the patches that you can tell we had already been in the patch game since 2012. We never thought about funding trips or anything with patches. So you know, I'd done some spam cams and our logos, and then we did the, some other stuff kind of ammo related. Did the uh, October somewhere in here. I did Haas's patch for him. So we had done some stuff to just sort of create awareness, the bracelet patches, and uh, there's Haas's patch. And then I'd done some patches with like October and every second matters, but it wasn't until 16 that I was like, oh, wait a minute, let me see if I can help fund the trip and have some cool patches to give out. So I guess I don't even have a strawberry one, but there's a chocolate and a vanilla donut. There's supposed to be a strawberry donut too that's on the image on the screen there. But um, then I also did this one. This is a tire. This one's pretty neat, actually. It's a... Uh, it's like the, it's all dusty, but it's the, uh, it's got a tire with center lines. I didn't have center lines, or it kind of looks like center lines, but, uh, and then I did it in the style of a tire. So it says gun show, loophole tour, and this was from the pit crew. So the Patreons that were the pit crew level in uh, 2016 got that patch. Since then, the extras have gone out to other people as well. But originally, those were exclusive to the pit crew, the people that got us on the road. And it was a lot of fun. Back in those days, uh, we had a pretty big community. It was rocking and rolling from the gun channel's side. And that's what these G patches are, by the way. And uh, we had pretty much every direction I would go. People that were willing to help out. People that could and were willing to help out with fixing the van or... Uh, you know, helping with something like that. And unfortunately had to, you know, utilize that infrastructure. So it was a lot of uh, 
a lot of good and bad, right? A lot of frustration, but also a lot of, uh, you know, road trips. What are you going to say? They're, they're amazing. They're like, you know, part of the reason our country has, uh, is what it is, is from the, the highways, the invention of, well, horses originally running around on horses, you know, individual freedom, freedom of transportation, freedom of travel and all that. And then eventually once we invented the combustion engine, uh, vehicles and driving around and that's just been a chunk for a long time so it's, it was a great part of the tours just getting out there with the unknown and knowing that you know i had people that had the had my back had our back because there would be people with us sometimes and uh and then not being certain there's never certainty when you're on a tour so going out there and getting stuff done and the best part and well another fun part of it was that there's nobody out there doing that kind of thing there's nobody out there taking a look you know for years now at the industry at our community at the stuff that's going on and the things that are taking place and literally the best part about it was that we had a destination which would probably be like an industry event or a gun show or a place and then we'd wander. We'd have time to get there. Thanks to Patreons and the way we set it all up. We weren't in a big hurry. We had time to get there. And because we weren't in a big hurry, I'd come along and find a gun shop. And now we'd check out that gun shop. And they didn't know we were coming. They had no idea who we were. Um, we'd buy stuff. Smeggy, I know, I don't know, I'm forgetting all the other people, but a whole bunch of people were putting down 75 bucks a month, if I remember right, and for that 75 bucks, we would leave $50 at the gun shop. And then the other 25 was to send that stuff to you. So I would drive around with a whole bunch of other people's money and I would leave 50 bucks every month at these different gun shops that we'd, we'd find. So I'd buy a bunch of their hats. I'd buy a bunch of their shirts. If they had patches, I'd buy a bunch of their patches so that they would sell some of their merchandise. They're probably, hopefully, making 40% on their merchandise. If you're lucky, you're making 10% on a gun. So even if I would have gone around and been like, oh, I'm going to buy a gun at every gun shop, big whoop, I'm barely giving them any profit. But buying their merch, one, it got the merch out to a whole bunch of Patreons. The people that were supporting this whole thing had have the, the patches and the hats and the shirts from those gun shops all over the country. So people that appreciate having a gun shop t-shirt you know, got them when we were out driving around. Um, 16 wasn't the biggest year. I'd say 18 was probably the biggest year. 617 was a big year too, but um, 16 is what kind of got us started and got the whole process and the concept out there. And it was like the proof of theory. That picture is not the right picture. That's from 2018, you know, 17 coming back through Wyoming, 18 coming back through Wyoming. But, uh, um, that's just a random picture at the top of each page. I've just been sitting here looking at this picture. Let's see. This picture is is uh, the big sh uh, SAR show. And let's just say that was the SAR show from 2016 because I can't remember anyway. But that's what the SAR show looks like. That's Phoenix in the background. And this is the Arizona fairgrounds. And that's pretty much every lick of the parking lot being filled with cars. And that entire building that you can barely see is a giant gun show. And that's only a half of the gun show. It's a huge gun show. All right. So 2016, kind of we're each week now we're looking back next week. We'll talk about 2017. Um, but this was kind of the beginning of it all. This was Bob had come down. Wait, was this the first? This wasn't the first year. This was a Bob had come down and um, wait, 
when did we start this show? This might have been the year that Bob came down and we started the Daily Gun Show also, now that I'm thinking about it. I think we did start this show in 2016. Let's go find out. I'm going to go find where this show's website is. Since March of 2016, yeah. So this 2016 was the year that Bob came down. Yeah, that's right, because eventually then... Uh, I got the van and then the second van and then Bob to quit coming down when we could actually tear around. Well, he couldn't come down anymore. But anyway. Um, so anyway, yeah, we never get, get to tear around in the new van. I don't think Bob has ever seen the new van. Wait, has he? No, I don't think Bob has. So this was the first. No, yeah, that's right. Bob came down and seen the old van a couple of times, but he didn't see the new van. So anyhow, this was uh, 16. It was... Uh, a beginning of a bunch of our stuff. Let's see what else happened in 16. We had, well, it was kind of actually a year of everybody taking everything for granted, really. There wasn't a lot of challenge that I can think of. And it wasn't, uh, it was the beginning of Trump versus Hillary. So there was a, little, a lot of anticipation politically but there wasn't much uh, going on. Obama was pretty weak as far as gun stuff. And while he rattled some sabers, all he did was sell a lot of guns. So it was actually a time of uh, quite a bit of growth in the industry and quite a bit of um, taking everything for granted. And there was definitely some expansion of CCW. This is probably the times when, well, I think Illinois got their CCW in 15. So it was a time of kind of like everybody going, oh, man, we've accomplished something. We got CCW in every single state. Slowly, the uh, con constitutional carry movement was creeping. And slowly, the people who were being uh, infringed upon the most with magazine infringements and uh, universal background checks, uh, those were slowly infringing and slowly creeping and somewhere around here was the bundy ranch whole thing wait is that what it was called yeah it was called bundy ranch right the whole thing in new mexico so you know brace the the pistol brace thing had been in 2015 and by 16 they had gone back to saying you could shoulder it again so it was a time of taking everything for granted and um yeah it was the beginning of our uh interest in getting out there to to be part of that time an era of gun ownership it was a time when instruction and training was blossoming people had gotten over the idea that training was only for military or police or that training had to be some sort of drill instruction the evolution of training has evolved the same as the evolution of trainer hate. So there's people out there that you know right now that will suck on their thumb and bitch about training. Like if you asked them to do something that they don't want to do. And that evolution has gone. There's always been those people right around the, you know, there's always been those people period. So as training has changed, they have had to change also. So back in the day, people who went to basic, let's say, or people that watched Full Metal Jacket, more people probably watched Full Metal Jacket than went basic. Because I'll tell you what, since the 80s, basic isn't like Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket's about the 1960s. And the 1960s, there's the 1970s, and then the 1980s, and then the 1990s, and somewhere in there, 
basic is not the same anymore. So uh, people that have been in know that basic is different. Maybe in the Marines, it's the same as that, but it's not. Anyway, the uh, people who had seen those kind of movies thought that firearms training was some sort of basic training, people yelling at you, like Arlie Emery yelling at you if you didn't chamber your gun right or if you missed the target, somebody would just yell at you until you hit the target right. And that perception was what anti-training people would run around saying. So since that was something that was needing to be, I don't know, countered, I guess, because it was stupid and it was not correct. There were people out there because YouTube was just getting going in 16. It took YouTube started in 13. So by 16, it was just barely a teenager, like people just barely figured out that there was YouTube channels and these are the channels I like and those are the channels I don't like. And everybody was using YouTube and everybody was using it on their phone and they were using it all the time. So it, everything was coming into its own. And uh, and that was a time when, you know, everybody could go, oh, well, hey, you don't like training. You don't have to like training. I hate training, too. So pay us to hate training. You know, so as everybody was looking to get in on the on whatever angle. So anyway, I thought it, I found it as an interesting time to get out there and focus on gun shops and on gun shows and on things that weren't petty and things that weren't based on ignorance and based on dividing people based on what they like and you don't like. And that was one of the funnest things about the tours. I, I didn't have to focus on what a shop sold other than, you know, the vibe of the shop and the age of the shop and the, the layout and the kind of, you know, how the shop was. And I didn't have to worry about the prices of the shit in the shop or any of that stuff. Now, if I could go back and do it again, I'd probably spend a lot more time. I'd have more people with us and we'd spend more time learning about what the shops needed as far as infrastructure, because it's been fun to observe and to report on the industry, but it was also a missed opportunity to participate in that level in the industry. So we only live so much time on the planet. Value your voice, whatever you're doing, unless you, even if you're some old person right now, maybe you're super old and you're about to retire, Gizzard, or one of those other people that's like Gizzard, right? Maybe Gizzard emulates your lifespan, right? Where you're at or whatever you're called at, like your life cycle or whatever. So let's say that you're about to be able to spend a lot more time on something. Let's say that you're young and you're deciding what you're going to be spending your time on. Value that and think big picture. Think if everything goes better than according to plan, bigger than I'd ever thought, what should I have been doing right now to facilitate my next version of me? So most people are just happy to have the experiences that they have when they're having them. But you're better than that and you're getting advice from somebody who's been around for a while and now thinking back on it think about what you would big picture what you'd love to be able to do with what you're doing right now and take a minute or two to incorporate a little bit of preparation for that while you're doing it all right so let's go back and take out some of these questions over here are you saying it's hard not to take things for granted you don't know what you have until it's gone and I wish we could uh, make a song about that and then make it into a jingle so that people would actually sink it in. But I think what happened is somebody made it into a jingle and now it's just bounces off of people. But you ain't kidding right there, man. 
So Ron threw 10 bucks at me. Thank you very much. That's, uh, I want, uh, you can't imagine how much I appreciate that. Thank you very much. As you notice, I don't get super chats. So very much appreciated on Fridays. Uh, we'll do a super chat. Thank you. And you're the only super chat this whole month. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Robert said hello. So uh, Smeggy's saying, is that the first van? Yep. Uh, Travis asking what vehicle that I used to come out east. Well, when that van broke down, I knew that I wanted to stick with a van, a car, a contractor van. So uh, I took out a loan and bought a van from the post office that is a 2002 Chevy van. So a newer version of a Chevy van. And, you know, knock on wood, it's my favorite van. And uh, it's pretty awesome. It's not perfect, but until I can afford to do something better, it's doing awesome. I love it. And it does everything I would hope a van to do, except maybe be free gas. But otherwise, you know, it's amazing. It's really, 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 really accomplishing what, you know, everything I would have put money on that loan to, to accomplish. But anyway, so another van, another Chevy van. Uh, the Chevy van that exists now has been back to the Wentzville factory three times. The old Chevy van never got to go back to where it was built in Wentzville, Missouri. Uh, Gizzard is out there. Uh, let's see. Dog dish hubcaps. Well, I don't let the dogs drink out of them, but they are aluminum, and they are great for, like I say, i got about eight different places where the roof leaks, so when it rains, those are four of the things that collect water for me now. And I can remember my van. Plus, I can pick them up and stick them on the wall when they're done collecting water. I have grown interest in stealth camping, including short-term dedicated RV traveling. Good topic. Well, you know, the, our, the, the stealth camping for me was definitely something I was interested in sharing. However, what I ended up finding out was in my times, and I'm going to be doing this more, you know, whatever. Uh, whenever I can travel again. But in my times traveling and in sharing my stealth camping, um, I think people are more used to watching these young kids that have, I don't know, whatever they do. You know, they save up their little kids. You know, they have money. So they save up their paper routes or whatever, and they don't have to pay rent or nothing yet. So they're little, and they got all their money to spend on cars. I mean, I wish I had all the stupid money I spent on my stupid Ford Ranger when I was a dumb kid. All the stupid crap I bought for that thing, they were useless, like uh, speakers and I can't remember, roll bars and stupid crap that you could get out of the J.C. Whitney catalog. Like if I would have had all that money to put into a stealth camping, actually I did turn my truck into a bit of a stealth camping. Every one of my pickups I've been able to camp in the back, but you know, nowhere near like with the van. And I guess we did stealth camp in the van when we would go to concerts and stuff. It's just that we didn't think of it as that. We just thought of it as not having money to go to a hotel. Anyhow, um, when I find that uh, most of the people at South Camp now, it's a little bit different. They think of it as uh, either vacationing or somehow lifestyling. So they'll they'll be real. It's definitely different. There's there's it's, there's opinions on it, and there's people that get offended if you casually talk about it too much i guess like they think that you have to it's like locals only like if you're not living the life you're not allowed to talk about it so that can get kind of weird but um so as you as your interest in stealth camping grows i hope that you're able to look past the d-bags right there's going to be some d-bags out there 
And it's probably because some of the people stealth camping are making a bunch of money. Like if you really lean into it and just get out there and do it and do it in kind of with some style and often in front of everybody, there's some real money to be made, some real money to be made. So uh, a bit of, uh, you know, there's, there's probably a bit of the, you know, we can't let too many people jump in here because once uh, most of these people, at least from my experience, most of the people in these niches don't realize that there's, you can just bake another pie. They all think they're fighting over some finite amount of pie. So uh, hopefully if you keep looking into the stealth camping stuff, you'll find people that are doing interesting stuff and don't get frustrated because I want to say 80% of the stealth camping stuff I find out there turns me off. It's people that are just weird and doing dumb things and you can learn a couple of interesting things from them, but you're not going to hang out with them more than likely. All right. Well, so that's a little bit of advice and a little bit of recollection. So that work? And a little bit of uh, time spent looking back at 2016. Would I do 2016 over again? Hell no. It cost me a shit ton of money. Did it cost as much as 17? No. And did it cost as much as 18? No. Those three years combined, 18 was the worst for money for me. But uh, 16, if I could do all this stuff again, man, I don't know. I would probably buy a new, if I could do it all over again, I would just buy a new engine for the van as soon as I got it. Instead of trying to be some kind of idiot fixing the engine the whole time. Because that took all the wind out of the sails and all the money out of the bank. I think I could have, well, I would have had to take out a loan, but I took out loans eventually anyway. I probably would have been better off to just get that van, drop the engine and transmission out of it, go buy a crated engine and transmission to put up in there, you know, and then then started driving around it. But you can't know that stuff until you do it. And to some extent, there's something awesome about driving around in the United States at the whim of a beat up old Chevy van. And some people ain't going to get that and some people are going to understand it. And if you haven't driven around through California, an old beat up van that you're not sure if it's going to make it the next couple of miles, then maybe give it a try sometime. It's kind of interesting, but uh, not necessarily mandatory, but uh, interesting. Otherwise, the rest of 16 was pretty awesome. The stuff up in Arizona here, the gun channels era was pretty awesome. Uh, the fun we were having there, the daily gun show kicking off and doing its thing shitty at the beginning. And it, it did get kind of lame, but uh, hey, we're still doing it. We're doing it right now. So uh, that part of it had to get started somewhere. And you can't know what sucks until you do the sucky parts and then, uh, you know, live through the, the parts that uh, suck. So you get stronger into the, the better parts, hopefully. I don't know if these are better, but they're certainly happening. All right. With that, I guess it's over. Nobody said anything. Thanks to Roy. Thanks to DJ. Much thanks to Ron. Uh, uh, what is this person? Somebody saying do more Ring of Fire videos? I don't know. Be a Patreon and say it over there. Then I'll have more weight than just somebody coming in, in the middle of the night. But yeah, awesome. Ring of Fire. We just talked about Ring of Fire tonight. Um, what vehicles use? Okay, I think I got everything else. So, Robert, welcome. Krabby, good evening. Thanks for the support. Uh, Ron, again, thank you very much. Gizzard, good evening. Gunmetal guy, hopefully you're still out there having a good night. Sorry to leave you hanging here, but we do got to end it at some point, I suppose. Um, I guess I didn't actually 
give out links to co-hosts tonight, but uh, I probably should have sent uh, Smeggy a link. He was actually on the tour in seven in sixteen. I think I should have done that. Oh well, now it's an hour late. But I don't know if he was awake. He was only in here a couple of times. Anyway, with that, thanks everybody for watching and listening. Um, let's see, tomorrow's Friday. It's Free Patch Friday, and we have a hundred items on eBay. One hundred something items on eBay. So if you're interested in what we do and seeing more of it, hey, make it possible. Consider buying something on eBay, or if it's something that you're not interested in, but you know somebody who might be, consider letting people know who have some of the interests and the things that we got on eBay. Help us out a lot, and we might have an even merrier Christmas than normal with some weird stuff that is off of eBay. GearWebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is Free Patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at GearWebsites.com. Tonight's episode, The Endangered Species. for supporting our projects if you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee check out our patreon channel the guys and gals at gunwebsites.com encourage you to take a ccw class every year practice at least once a month and carry every day thank you for watching gunwebsites.com Big thanks to DJ for dropping those links during the show and also for helping out Brooke on Saturdays. If you want to have a better ability to have conversations with anti-gunners and people who are on our side, wait, anti-gunners and people who are on our side, uh, consider getting more comfortable and able to talk about the thing that kills two out of every three people with a firearm, and that is suicide. It's something that awareness of it and uh, the prevention of is something that uh, you know we'll be better off with again being more comfortable and able to have uh, conversations about those things brooke offers a consistent uh, project every saturday that's not super long but it is every saturday sometimes it can be longer than others but it's usually fairly short offers some skills and tips and suggestions on how to have more effective communication to be more aware and to uh, uh, exercise some different, uh, uh, well, some different, uh, what's the word, like some uh, different uh, strategies, again, for conversations and, um, well, I'm doing a bad job of explaining it, but having better, having better conversations, I think the biggest goal. Uh, with that, I'm going to throw a link out there to the Pot of Gold Auctions, too. So if you're interested in grabbing something from uh, the auctions next Tuesday, just three days from now, 
four days from now uh, will be the big auction over there. Check it out, and if you would, spread some links. Thanks for watching.